So welcome everyone to Carving a New Path. My name is Andrea Hyland. I'm the host of this show. This podcast, Carving a New Path, began in 2020 in response to all the change that people were experiencing and the conversations and guests that I invited onto the podcast have all listened to their inner voice and birthed new ways of being in the world. And so I wanted to demonstrate that, that that this is what it looks like. So today's show, episode 28, meet Jennifer Lynn Smith. She is an author of, I don't even know how many books. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that, but we're going to talk about writing and the novellas that she has written that are on Kindle Bella which is a platform you may or may not be familiar with. And in the show page, I've got the link. It's a, a link tree that you can click on to go see the different novellas and to play with that. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, what's involved with actually accessing the, the platform. And before we start our conversation, I just want to tell you a couple of things about Jennifer, and I'll just read a bio here that I have for her. Jennifer Lynn Smith has always loved a good story, and from a young age, she was driven to write. Though life would present many hurdles and some pauses, the desire to write would never cease. Overcoming such obstacles would give rise to such creations that would never exist without them. In the past nine years, she has published more than 80 individual pieces in literary journals and magazines, as well as three books of poetry. Recently, she has published six novellas using Amazon's Kindle Vela platform. And once she started publishing her first serial, Birth of the Gorgon, she was hooked and loved the format. She has since published five more novellas and plans many more in the future. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so happy you're here. And I just want to highlight to the listeners that right there in the bio, you get a, a little taste about her prolific writing and her desire to write in different different places and different platforms and, and different ways. And I just thought that although you tell us that from a young age you were driven to write, I thought we'd just start the conversation, Jennifer, by having you talk a little bit about how you started writing or what was the impulse to write. And so I'm going to be quiet and turn it over to you to share that. Sure. Uh, thank you, Andrea. Um I found writing kind of naturally and by accident um, as early as sixth grade. Um, I was recognized. I would write in English class and turn in my work and um, really started then um, for those three years in middle school. I was my work was sent for good reasons <laughs> to the mm -hmm. principal's office uh, as exemplary work. Um, during this time, I'd also write, I call them song poems, but they, they were song lyrics. I have a book of 118 of those. I still have them. I'm going to put them in a novella, a novella eventually. So that's forthcoming, but I still have those after all those years in a Trapper Keeper, no less. Um, mm -hmm. 
I would, uh, as many uh, writers, I'd struggle with, you know, finding that good feedback and support. And I think my my story is definitely um, one in which I forged my own path in support and validation versus, you know, uh, surrounding audience uh, bolstering up. I quit writing, you know, not long after I wrote my first novel when I was a freshman in high school. Because what are you going to do with your know, writing? You can't make a living out of it. College, I picked it up again. Have a, a English degree with a creative writing specialization. And end up publishing my first uh, work during that time. Um, and it was the second poem, the true poem I've actually ever written. And I did that in um, classes. I was uh, trained in Iowa workshop uh, style of uh, you know presenting your work for that um, effectively of as a minor as they called it a specialization and unfortunately health issues would curtail my writing again because it's like okay you got to be serious and you got to do something else long story short fast forward to complete my master's in international relations russian studies no less i did a lot of work on ukraine during that time as well um i would uh, self-published my master's thesis on the Russian involvement in the Syrian war. And from then I learned, I dabbled into self-publishing. And after birth of my daughter, I got this, you know, intense desire to write again. And I was going to take all my old work and just self-pub. And long story short, within six months of my daughter's um, being born, uh, her being born, I um, decided to submit to Larry journals and magazines. Long story short, that would give me the validation and feedback in which I would, uh, you know, publish through politics and prose in Washington, I entered the independent bookstore, and then led me to Kindle Vela, which I've really, to me, have found my home. Uh, mm -hmm. And I hope it'll be good hope for uh, some time to come. A uh, year and a half ago, I published Birth of the Gorgon. It was based on Greek mythology, lover of Greek mythology. Uh, and I wrote that one. Uh, that work stemmed from a 2009 NaNoWriMo National Writing Month competition, which you're supposed to compose a uh, book of 50,000 words at least in 30 days. Mm -hmm. So... From Birthday Gorgon, I just kind of continued on from that. And now I have six uh, books on uh, Kindlevella right now. Hope to do more in the future. I love that. And I want to talk about specifically some of the, the books. And before we do that, I just want to highlight for the, the listeners that one of the reasons I love to have conversations with writers and other different types of creative people is because you, you know, you just showed the whole path in a very short, succinct way on how there, number one, you started writing and you had someone who liked your writing and that gave you support, gave you that positive feedback. And I think it's important as writers to understand that, you know, have some support, have some places for support where, I mean, treat your writing as you would a little baby and keep your baby safe. 
So it's like, keep it to yourself and then know that you're only going to share it in places where you can get some, um, not just positive feedback, but encouragement, encouragement to keep writing, you know, maybe someone who's able to, to say to you, um, you know, I really like this and I want to know more about this versus, well, that sounds dumb or why would you want to write that? Or, exactly. you know, and so you even highlighted the fact that you you found your own way of approving of your writing and the so that self-support within. So I feel like both both and are important. And the other thing is that you are um it's like a classically trained musician. You know, you are a classically trained writer who has found ways to uh, like use use the knowledge. And also you have carved a new path as to how you really want to write. And so um, there must've been a point where you decided that you weren't going to focus on um, the literary journals and you were going to write for the audience. I don't know. Could you speak a little bit to that, that kind of transition, you know? Sure. Um, As I came from that background, uh, like I said, my undergraduate was in English with specialization of creative writing. Genre writing was at the time was not welcomed at all. You wrote mainstream literary fiction and that's what you studied as well. The only Mm -hmm. difference between my creative writing classes and my English classes, English did more historical lit. So um, the the farthest we went was probably the 1930s, 1940s, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, you know, again in the 1960s, but really the creative writing classes, they focused on craft and uh, an era probably slightly overlapping that maybe the 50s and 60s and present, but very two distinct uh, ways of looking at lit, but both of them agreed you have this narrow path to pursue and that is literary nonfiction you can't get too uh too much into sci-fi you can't get too much into romance you can't do uh, a lot of different things you deal with the world at the present no fiction uh, you know worlds of creation none of that and uh, for many years I went in that realm and even when I had my comeback after my daughter was born I started submitting to Larry journals and magazines I decided I didn't necessarily like the ones that were straight straight literary you know mm-hmm. the ones that a lot of people would say top tier and are very highly rated and bless them I you know they're really great a lot of them and they're all academically backed many of them through career writing programs so they a lot of times they publish their own um at that time I forgo decided to forgo the MFA and I got an MA in international relations, as I referenced earlier. So I had done academic writing as well. I, you know, did the citations, did the research and all that in a very dis- different discipline. When I came back to writing, although I did start in many of the literary journals and magazines, I wanted to be read. And this is no 
shade this is not intended shade to me literary journals and magazines but they have a very narrow audience mm -hmm. and many of them are kind of self-contained the mfa community and i didn't even though i came from academia and i i work in higher ed right now mm -hmm. um in a different capacity as an administrator um it didn't feel right and it felt kind of confining to me so mm -hmm. I started looking at self-publishing. I did my um, my three works of poetry, including the forerunner of the Gorgon, which is Medusa's Lost Daughter. I published that, mm -hmm. published two other ones, many of them which uh, contained uh, works that were published in these literary magazines and journals, like Cast Out Eden, for instance. Um, I think 26 or 27 of them were published elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And this was just a compilation. And when it, I enjoyed publishing, but it, it did take a lot of time, you know, submitting out, uh, you know, hundreds, hundreds of submissions. And sometimes you got 5%, 5 to 10% acceptance rate, which is actually pretty good, but mm -hmm. it was very tedious. And I didn't find that I was getting the feedback from the readers. So enter like uh, Kindle Bella I, it came at a time that I was looking at a different path in which I wanted to get my product. Literally, if you think of it as a baby product, you mm -hmm. know, want to show it off. And yeah. It took me forever. It actually launched in April of 2021, the platform. And mm -hmm. I did not get on there until I think I published the first episode of Gorgon in uh, late July of last year. And mm -hmm. I sat on the sidelines for a while and I thought about it, I thought about it. I had looked at uh, serial fiction before, but I didn't think it would go over. Leading Lights, which is one that I just uh, started publishing, I kind of crafted with the idea of epibits, mm -hmm. you know, kind of episodes, and I didn't find a market for it outside just publishing on my website. And if you publish on your website, well, that's no longer publishable. So mm -hmm. when I saw Kindle Vela, I was like, I'm going to try this. And Gorgon was the first one that I used because it was one that I had ready. And um, I published that. And it is very, um, it is very much a new experimental platform, but it is rooted in literary history. This is how Dickens, Charles Dickens famously published. It's just something that came out of fashion with the decline of newspapers. But this so just happen. tell the audience about that, that Dickens published. Um, yeah, say a few words about that for anyone yeah. who doesn't know how how his work was published. Yes, I love Dickens. Um, I enjoyed 19th century Victorian lit. That was kind of my area when I studied uh, England, English literature. And Dick, uh, Dickens was one of my favorites. So um, you would uh, he would publish in serials. So you had the weekly paper and he would have a snippet. I, I don't know exactly the parameters, but he had a snippet. If you can imagine the... the um, you know, old fashioned episode in the uh, weekly newspaper and everyone was waiting for it. This mm -hmm. was entertainment back then. Uh -huh. Of course, people would um, put this in a book eventually, but you got to remember, this is how the masses were able to afford a book. 
because mm -hmm. this was just pillings or shillings at a time, you know, it's not going to cost them very much. And a lot of times they would gather together to read because some people are better readers than others. And you often have a reader. Mm -hmm. And later, I mean, a lot of this was done over radio, too, because they did this on radio. But Dickens was famous. And I remember some of the notes in the actual books, the Penguin books or whatever they were, and that he had to rush to the printers because he couldn't remember a detail of the last uh, serial that he uh, published. Mm -hmm. And he had to run down to the printers. Remember, these are hardcore printing presses. This is nothing like, you know, what we do nowadays to hit submit. You know, he had to go down there and say, okay, what, what, what was the last episode? Whatever. And, you know, that's how he edited. Of course, you know, it became a book eventually, but you ever look at Dickens' work, I encourage you to, you know, look at Great Expectations. I, I believe that one is, is somewhere around five or so hundred pages. That mm -hmm. is a lot of episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and this is how um, 19th century lit was actually published. So yeah. Amazon brought it back, you know. I, I love that. Yeah. So, although we're not going to go into a lot of details about the actual, like, starting Kindle, Kindle Vela and how to upload your work and all of that, what we are going to talk about are two or three of the novellas that you have already published on Kindle Vela. And let's approach it as a writer. Um Okay, pick pick one. What which one do you want to start with? I think we have to start with a uh, birth of the gorgon because okay. the first because uh, that was my experiment. Okay, because it was written traditionally with chapters. Okay, and this is a active debate on novella. Uh, of, you know, a, a novella, and you know, do you continue them as chapters or do you uh, make them in smaller bits? Mm -hmm. Me. I have done both, written them um, as I go along, you know, with no preset amount of words already. And I've also done um, what I call preloaded, which is uh, Gorgon. I already had the work. It's like 61,000 words when I started. And um, I had to look at arcs. Okay, what can I get these people to turn the uh, turn the page, so to speak, and turn the page where it is uh, how it is in uh, Kendall Vela is that for them the purchase and their set of tokens, which is a minimum amount of tokens for them to quote unquote turn the page. So, yes, while I could, you know, post them as chapters, I looked at it and it's like, you know what, in say the first chapter. It was probably the only one, and the and it's the intro that is actually standalone, as it is in the original work, and I just published it like so, because the arc, you have that first opening scene with Medusa on Sarpedon. She's been, you know, uh, on the island, you know, exiled for sixteen years, and you know, she gets the visitor. Eventually you'll know who that visitor is, but it sets up the work and it's perfect as an arc to, okay, if you want to read more, 
you know, go to the next set of tokens. It's almost like a page turn, but turning pages on Vela is a little bit different than the traditional methods in that you're not thinking pages, you're thinking blocks of text. So whether that's 600 words or the max is 5,000. And a lot of times people are reading on these things. So you've got to be mindful of that too. So yeah. if you put a chunker of 4,800 words, they're going to be scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about reading, reading it on your phone for anyone who's listening and not seeing the visual that's here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's just pause for a minute and talk about the tokens because part of this going and reading on Kindle Vela is getting used to it being a different system. So I know, yeah. for instance, Birth of um, the Gorgon has 52 episodes. Yeah. So what we might call a chapter in a book, these are called episodes. And when they go there, the first three episodes are free to read, right? Correct. Correct. So, and I just recently started reading on Kindle Vela. And so when I finished my first three episodes, they then gave me, I think it was 200 tokens. Yes. And then each episode, you use your tokens to do that. And then, um, yeah, and I, because things are always changing, I would just say, I would go look at how much do tokens cost because they, I mean, prices change with everything. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Um, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the cost because, um, you know, recently I was at uh, a bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and I was looking at how much paperbacks cost. Uh -huh. you know, from the big um, publishers, and it it's uh, and I saw that some of them were up towards seventeen dollars mm -hmm. for a a paperback, and even the um, mini ones for like romance are pushing like nine dollars. Mm -hmm. And I got to thinking, it's like how economical is Kindle Vela on the consumer side today? Someone happened to um, purchase like 71 episodes of There Are No Accidents. So they read mm -hmm. through. And and I saw how much it cost because uh, I get like 50% of that. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I was doing the math in my head and I would actually have to comp this out, but I think it would cost like six or $7 for mm -hmm. uh, There Are No Accidents to mm -hmm. actually read it all through because that person still had about another 30, yeah, 30 um, ep uh, episodes to go because mm -hmm. it's at 97. So they had roughly just under 30. And I was looking at that and how much it cost them. And it's like, actually, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it really depends on the type of work. But for like, there are no accidents. Yeah, it's be like six or seven dollars, which is a bargain. Uh -huh. Someone say, well, what about uh, Kindle? you know, regular Kindle. And it's like, well, fair enough. You could get some of them for $2.99. That's true. Mm -hmm. But you're also outlaying the cash right then and there versus doing it piecemeal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to get it on the shelf, it would cost three times as much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, it, when I started looking at that and it's like, you know what, why do I want to uh, to 
have my consumers paying so much, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for my book? Would I want them to spend $17? Mm -hmm. Eventually, I probably will put them in, um, you know, uh, on regular Kindle, but I certainly wouldn't put it that high. But I can, that's the amount of control as a self-publishing artist that you have and that you have little middleman in between mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you control a lot of the processes you gotta think that 17 dollar um book that came from one of the big houses and forgive me i don't even remember what house it came from publishing house it has so many middlemans to, uh, you know to go through including barnes and noble mm -hmm. that sold it, mm -hmm. you know so you know, when I started looking at that, I really liked it even more because it's like, well, you know, I can present my work for half as much and still get paid because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm still getting paid and yeah. they still have the opportunity to even, like you said, browse the first three chapters. Mm -hmm. And, and for that matter, they can get six in and they decide, you know, it's not for them. I, I would hate for that to happen, but yeah. you know. Okay. Right. You know, they're, they're not as invested, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of consumer control too with this. So I, I would encourage people, if you're interested in it, just either as a reader or a writer is to go and, you know, click on Jennifer's link tree here in the show description and just read some of it. You, you know, um, you're going to have a chance to read some of it for free and just check it out as, as a way to do it. And something I really appreciate about the way that I've learned about this from you, Jennifer, is that there are times where I, as a writer, I just, I want to write. I have an idea. I have things that I want to put out there. And because there's the freedom to then take that work and publish it in other ways, it feels like a great platform for creating something. And whether you're like getting clearer, because here's the thing, if you're, if, if for every episode, you're becoming conscious of the arc that would lead a reader to the next chapter, that's actually helping you with your writing of, yeah story uh, helping you with the writing of your book so it feels like a good platform for also developing your yes, writing it is uh, i mean on gorgon it makes you look at uh, even longer pieces and it's like where's the action really happening mm -hmm. when you're composing say there are no accidents um you know which is actually ironically my best seller right now um, when you're composing that, um, I did that. I may have written maybe three to five episodes ahead of time, but I was pretty much doing it as a true serial and mm -hmm. when, you know, writing them as to go and for them to turn that page, you have to have an arc every single time. So I think the most I had on that one was a thousand word episodes and you got to keep the action going. You got to, and, um, with Gorgon, you have to decide where the action was and, you know, uh, decide where you're, you're, uh, you're curtailing it for that episode. So it's very different ways of looking at it. And when you read Vela's, I, I've read, oh gosh, hundreds now. I read them myself. Mm -hmm. And 
there are some that you can tell someone just put them pretty much uh, you know, chapter wise in it, and and it doesn't exactly lend itself to the format as much as someone who is more cognizant of those you know arcs. And there are probably some uh, writing that is better for this format than others. I have seen people do poetry, for instance, mm -hmm. um, shorter poetry at that, which does not make the 600 word cutoff. So a lot of times they have to have two, maybe even three poems in a um, episode. I've seen cookbooks. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's something that you're really interested in, say, you know, especially in the last uh, example, you know, recipes, yeah, you can, I can definitely see where you pause on that. But maybe those works or those types of works aren't naturally lending themselves to Villa versus, you know, something that's an ongoing saga in which you have a long drawn out plot line and you need to pull the reader through. Vela, you have to keep pulling the reader through. You do that in traditional fiction as well, obviously, but I think it's more immediate with Vela because you do have to give them a reason to purchase the next set of tokens. What's mm -hmm. the payoff? As one of my uh, earlier writer uh, writer uh, teachers taught me, what's the payoff? Mm -hmm. so, so there are no accidents is complete as a series. There's yes. 97 episodes and that's your most popular yes. one, right? Um, and it's in the genre of romance or yes. yes? Okay. Yes. So and then, yeah, yes. I was going to ask you about the fleeting lights. Cause that was the other one we were talking about, talking about that's that you have, you've written Yes. And there are only 10 episodes there so far. So you are, how often do you release an episode? So I kind of preloaded it because I'm on break from the university. So I kind uh -huh. of preloaded it. It did um, de debut the 12th of this month. So I did preload it. I'll probably, I also have Seasons of Maxine, which is also publishing at this time too. So what my week is probably going to look like in the new year, is bleeding lights will probably get published either uh monday or wednesday mm -hmm. and probably maxine maxine has always been usually friday okay so what i'll probably end up doing in gephrophobia i also have that one mm -hmm. it will probably be most likely whatever dates in the middle mm -hmm. that i can uh, squirrel away a lot of times i'll have a hot one that i'm continuously publishing on a middle and then I put one in the background. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I've had two at a time. This is experiment with three, which is why I hit Bleeding Lights so heavy because Bleeding Lights is going to be another 100 episode one. I can feel it. I haven't broken up all of it yet, mm -hmm. but that one is kind of my baby. So it, it's an interesting segue from uh, Greek mythology, which I have a great love Greek mythology. So you had Birk uh, Birth of the Gar Gorgon, and I have book two editing right now. So, mm -hmm. so far it's called Athena's Vengeance, but it's not it's not ready yet. Mm -hmm. I had Season of Holly, which was a Christmas story, and Clifton Heights series, which Season of Maxine is part two. Mm -hmm. um, there are no accidents, which is a complete one as well. Um, it's a college romance. 
and mm -hmm. it centers on a, um, an older uh, older graduate student who's gone back to school and to complete her doctoral studies after a divorce. She's mm -hmm. uh, a single mother with two kids mm -hmm. and her finding her footing, not only through her doctoral studies, but also love again, trusting mm -hmm. again. Leading mm -hmm. Lights is also, it is a romance, but it's also, um, it is a romance as well as an empowerment story. This story is the one I, I thought of, uh, you know, uh, perfect for episodes, because that's why I kind of thought of it as uh, years ago when I started writing it. It is set in Alaska. Um, it follows the story, Emma, and um, she um, has found that her marriage is in, uh, in trouble. It's in shambles. The life that she uh, has lived is not really what it, it truly is it's uh it's uh, a lot of things going on i don't want to read the uh, get revealed too much of the plot but uh there's a discovery she has that kind of shakes shakes her world and um it really uh, makes her as a young woman approaching 30 reevaluate her life and what she wants and uh, where she thinks it should be and mm -hmm. That one is preloaded. It is written. It's over, it's over a hundred thousand words. Mm -hmm. So uh, that one I will be editing maybe a slight, slightly, and you know, uh, putting it in episode form. But it's pretty much done as is, with maybe a couple of tweaks in there. Um, there are no accidents. Was written just on the fly. I had no idea it was going to go ninety-seven mm -hmm. episodes. Um, a subplot made it a lot longer than I thought it'd be uh -huh. but as a writer you sometimes discover that <sighs> uh, but uh, that one actually surprised me um, and um, that one uh, it, it uh, I had to put it on a back burner for a while because I was uh, you know doing some schooling myself and I came back and it's like, no, I want to write and I want to finish this one. And that one was finished up from like, I don't know, 15, 16 episodes to 97, about three months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I even published uh, 37 in one month alone. So you could uh, wow. see the backbreaking yeah. schedule. But often people publish um, once a week on a lot of the serials you will get a little bit of panic like I did with uh, there are no accidents when someone catches up with you and you're like, oh, <laughs> you caught up. Oh my. Okay. Okay. It's for real. So you feel like you're writing just for that. Uh, that right, reader. right. Right. Because you feel it and it's like, oh no, but it's pretty cool at the same time. You, you've got comments. So you hear feedback, mm -hmm. um, you know, live feedback. So, um, you know, Bella allows for them to leave comments. They can participate in your polls, and a lot of them do. And you find out a lot about your reader, you know, mm -hmm. what they're thinking about, which is yeah. Really so, cool. if anyone's listening who you're a reader and you don't intend to write, um, just know that the comments make a difference for yes, the I read them for the writer to hear what is uh, you know, what you appreciate about the story or what you are. Um. Yeah, like what? Where? 
it's it's feedback and it's well it's well received to read the feedback and i guess that i was stumbling there for a minute because i wanted to say um be kind you know there's a way of also giving feedback to writers just know that writers are pouring their hearts and souls yeah. out and so i would say instead of criticizing something i would just write what is it you want more of yes you know what would you like to know more about or or you know to say i didn't i didn't want the story to go that way <laughs> you know yes i mean that happens when you're reading a book or you know uh, all and i feel like that's you know that's fair to be able yes. to say i wanted it to go in a different way okay who knows maybe that will impact the story yeah mm -hmm. and, and you still have time so um you know even if you preload like I do, I probably won't preload more than five episodes, say if lean lights at the, at the same time, because I want to take my time. And if I do get feedback and someone's like, why, why did Nathan did this? Or this doesn't make sense. I can go back. And that's the beauty of Kendall Villa too. You can go back and edit those episodes. Mm -hmm. So even if, you know, you had to change something, it's like, you know what? They're right. I want to tweak this mm -hmm. or, insert something in episode two that makes a little bit more sense you can do that yeah that's that's interesting like a workshop yeah being able to impact the writer and all of that yeah um so uh, something i just thought as we kind of wrap up our conversation today is you something that you and i've talked about is that there are times where life takes over, you know, mm -hmm. you have a lot of work that's going on, or there's a family, whatever, you know, something happening in your family where it's either a, a big celebration that's coming up or someone's ill, mm -hmm. you know, different things can kind of pause the writing places where yes. you pause the writing. Something else I know about you, Jennifer. So I just want to have you share a few thoughts about this. You have, how many times have you done the national novel writing? Um, I have probably done it, I want to say four or five times. Okay. So what, for anyone who doesn't know what this is, it's called NaNoWriMo, I think is the, it's National Novel Writing Month. Yes. It happens every November and it's a way of, discipline it's a discipline yes really to write every day how many words a day it's a uh, if you actually average it it's uh 1666 okay so that every day for 30 days to get 50,000 words by the end of that month mm -hmm. and so this idea of writing it's like creating something that puts you in the zone of writing and that's that's like an incredible practice of it doing is. that. And I can see how by doing that, it's actually prepared you for juggling three different novellas at a time yes. where you're developing them. And um, and because you were talking about preloading it, if you like maybe you're on a roll with one of them and you get a couple of episodes completed and you upload those and then turn your attention 
to another one. I don't know. How how do you balance three different stories? It, it is a little bit of a juggling act. I will say this also for NaNoWriMo. If I'm not mistaken, they still do one in April too. They call it Camp Rimo. Oh, okay. So if okay. you want to look at that, um, someone who's um, thinking ahead, you can definitely do that or create your own. Mm -hmm. um, you can definitely do that. But uh, Fleeting Lights and Gorgon started in um, NaNoWriMo's. So Fleeting Lights, especially the uh, the core of it. Now, obviously, it's 100,000 words. I wrote more. But, you know, uh, I think I clocked in about 60,000 in that NaNoWriMo. So you silence the critic and you just write because you don't have time to, you know, say, oh, should I start it at a different point? No, no, you just throw it down. You just throw right. it down. You know, you, and just, you edit you, later, edit yeah, later, you edit, you edit uh -huh. in December, or if you do the April, do it in May, you know, edit mm -hmm. later. But usually I have balanced two at a time. So I did have to, unfortunately, uh, when I was taking my class, I had to put a lot of it on back burner. And that's one of the reasons why I, I decided to focus more on my writing. Um, I was in a graduate certificate program, but, you know, for once, I've decided it's like, no, I'm going to focus on my writing and mm -hmm. I'm just like, keep mm -hmm. focused on writing. So yeah. I ended up um, not only having, uh, there are no accidents. Uh, I came and uh, started writing that heavily in July of this year, but I was also uh, writing uh, seasons of Maxine. So mm -hmm. I started up on that. So typically what you do with the, at least the two preloading helps. So if you will like, Take a Monday and you can write two or three episodes of say Maxine. You have it preloaded. You edit maybe Wednesday or so. And you have, you know, that week's episode, maybe then two more already mm -hmm. scheduled for the consecutive Fridays. So that's okay. mm -hmm. um, there are no accidents. <clears throat> that one I hit heavy. I was doing like one or two episodes a day because that one wow. month of October, I did 37. So you can do the math. Um mm -hmm. With three, what I'll most likely do is preload enough leading lights so I have it for next month or so, you know, mm -hmm. decide, and I haven't decided yet what day exactly I want leading lights to be on. And a lot of uh, Vela writers do this. They'll set dates, uh, days of the week, and they'll mm -hmm. put on their link tree, I publish on Wednesdays or something. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Sure. So that's probably what I end up doing, and probably Tuesday, Thursday will be writing days pure mm -hmm. writing days and probably on the weekends I don't have my daughter mm -hmm. <laughs> to mm -hmm. be honest and you know Monday Wednesday Friday will actually be the publishing schedule mm -hmm. but you got to remember also they're not all at the same point so you have like Maxine that I just published 25th episode that one will probably clock in about 50 episodes mm -hmm. so I'm about a halfway point Fleeting Lights is going to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and Gephrophobia is kind of my baby right now. So it's mm -hmm. it's a slower start. So yeah. it probably helps if you have all of them at a different point. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a high intensity one, pick one that's a large part of your focus. And that's going to be a high intensity one that you're going to bring it home. Because you know how it gets about three quarters of the way in, you start getting all the action, you have to start tying up ends and you really want to focus on it. I do recommend notes. Mm 
you know, that's something mm -hmm. I didn't do in the beginning, but make copious notes on, you know, facts, ages, places they graduated, whatever mm -hmm. you need, make sure you make copious notes because you have a couple cereals going, you'll be like Dickens and running into the printing <laughs> press. And yes, I've done that. <laughs> yes, I've done that. That's like, so funny. I was watching a television series and all of a sudden for one of the characters, they had a 30th birthday party. And I was like, how did she get to be 30? She's <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense according to the ages of the siblings and the, and, and there was a point where they then brought her back to age 23 oh, or something in the series. So it was just like, Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do jumps like that. And uh, this is a confession, but I'm being transparent here. I actually <laughs> accidentally renamed one of the kids uh -huh. for about three episodes. <laughs> he had a different name. Uh -huh. and I, I caught myself and I was like, wait a minute. And I had to go back. You had to go back. And it's like, oh, and it's yeah, yeah. a minor, minor character in this one. And, um, but it can be so distracting as a reader. I yes. felt distracted watching this thing. Yeah. I was like, there's no way she's 30. Why is she 30? Why not just throw a different year birthday party for her? It was just, yes. it, it's very distracting for you. And your you're reader. wondering how that happened. And you're wondering, it's like, did they just forget? <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, but none of the other kids aged it's like so <laughs> I was just like, no, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Listen, I have loved this conversation so much with you. And I know that we're, we're like out of time here. So I just wanted to circle back. And uh, first of all, I want to say to the listeners, this is an example of someone who's really passionate about writing and who has found a place to to put her words and to create with. And so just as Jennifer was saying throughout, it's not about saying that literary journals are not a good place to write or other articles or other platforms. It's just that this is what she's doing right now. And this, and so um, both and it's like, so it, actually, if anything, I would say expand your mind about where, you want to put your writing and how to publish it and get it out into the world. So is there anything that you want to just wrap up the, our conversation with to say to the readers or writers? I, I'm just uh, thankful to have this opportunity. I, I'll admit, uh, you know, it is still experimental uh, platform and, you know, uh, I am glad I took the leap. Like I said, I think for me, it's more akin to my writing Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, uh, nothing wrong with literary journals. You can look and see, I published a, a tons in them. Uh, it's just with, you know, my jump, it just felt home. You got and that's for mm -hmm. a writer. I think that's an important lesson for you to figure out for yourself is where is your writing most comfortable and at home with. Mm -hmm. And, for me, it was getting the product to the readers and getting them to enjoy it and mm -hmm. make a little money on the side. Hey, great. But, mm -hmm. you know, in all, I wanted people to read it and say, hey, what do you think? You uh -huh. Yeah. And I get thrilled. It's like Christmas, you know, opening presents when, you know, someone is like, oh, I like that scene. Someone complimented the leading lights and they're like, I love the description. Uh -huh. It made me feel like I was there. I was like, 
you know, you just like gushing because you've done your job and you feel, you know, rewarded by that. But I, I just, you know, am thankful for the opportunity to talk to you and you know anyone who uh, reads you know if you want to contact me you know definitely contact me uh writers love that you know so feel free and you know let me know what you think i love it well thank you so much and thanks to everyone who came and listened to our conversation and click on the link go on over and um read a couple of chapter, a couple of episodes and see what you think, leave a comment and all that. So thank you, Jennifer. And thank you. bye-bye now, everyone. Appreciate it. <laughs> mm.